This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. I'm Jim Lakeley, Director of Communications at the Heartland Institute, and thank you for listening to the Heartland Daily Podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and give us a five-star review, but you can also get this podcast on all sorts of places where you can listen to podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio. If you can listen to a podcast, you could probably find it. Just search Heartland Daily Podcast, and it'll show up. And our guest today, we're very happy to have him, is Charlie Copeland. He is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Intercollegiate Studies Institute, also known as ISI, which is headquartered in the state of Delaware. Charlie served as a state senator in Delaware from 2002 to 2008, rising to the position of Senate Minority Leader. And Charlie also serves as a board as board chair of the Longwood Foundation, which has made more than $2 billion in grants to nonprofits in Delaware since uh, Pierre S. DuPont founded the foundation in 1937. Charlie's also co-founded and serves as president of the board of the Challenge Program, a nonprofit organization that trains at-risk youth in construction skills. Charlie, welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. Jim, it's a real pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're, we're having you on because, well, a few connections were made, and there's, some, there's a special project at the Heartland Institute uh, that we've been focusing on this year and will for years to come called Stopping Socialism. And it really dovetails very nicely with the work of the Intercollegiate Studies Institute, ISI. And uh, you and I are going to talk today about the unfortunate spread and, I guess, rooting of socialism on college campuses. But before we get into those, into those details and those troubling uh, developments on our college campuses today, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about ISI? Um, I understand that its founding goes back to one of the founders of modern conservatism, William F. Buckley. That is correct, Jim. It's, uh, William F. Buckley Jr. was our first president. He served as president of ISI in 1953 and uh, served for two years. And, and it was after that that he actually founded National Review. So uh, we, we predate National Review. We're, we're, we're obviously good friends with the National Review Institute and many of those folks. And, and, and a number of the writers for National Review were, were ISI students on campus and that kind of thing. But to just give a quick summary of what ISI does, ISI serves as a para-university, para meaning next to. And we come into university and college campuses across this country, and we provide educational content to uh, students and faculty and others in free markets, limited government, property rights, subsidiarity, critical thinking skills, all those concepts that that lead to a, a free and flourishing society, most of which are not taught on college campuses today. And, and we've been doing that for decades, and we've created a, a basically a community of our students, our faculty, and our alumni, which again go back to 1953, mm-hmm. that, uh, that exists, and, and our students go on to become leaders in their communities, in their state, in the nation. Some, uh, some of our alumni that, that uh, your listeners might have heard of, uh, Sam Alito or Neil Gorsuch, both on the Supreme Court, were both ISI students when they were undergraduates. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College is uh, also an ISI alum, as is Ed Fulner from uh, the Heritage Foundation. 
uh, Peter Thiel, who was the first outside investor in Facebook and one of the founders of PayPal. And, and those are the ones that you know about. But if you go down layers of government, both the federal and state level and the courts, the founders of the Federalist Society were all ISI alumni. So we have, we have a long tail and we create a very strong and, and substantive community of really intellectually brilliant, deep thinking conservatives and libertarians that, that go on and, and help keep our country the great nation that it is. Uh, does the activist left know about all that? How much great influence you've had on on public policy in the United States through ISI through the years? And or are you guys keeping your head down? Or are you under attack? We 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 get attacked like others. But since we since we're not technically a think tank, we're not developing the the, the intellectual you know policy ideas and things like that. We're 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 the ones that are uh, making sure that those students on campus that are bright, young, intellectually curious, get that knowledge. And so we, we certainly run into it on campus mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a big way. And our students get harassed and targeted and doxxed and all these kinds of things. Uh, we, have, uh, we have a network of 3,000-plus uh, faculty associates across the country, many of which were ISI uh, at fellowships when they were studying for their, their, their PhD. And, and many of them are... Well, not many, but some of them are hiding in plain sight. They try not to let people know that they are quote-unquote conservatives because they, they want to make sure they get tenure or that they, they, they're, they're not uh, you know, kicked out of the faculty dining hall, if you will. Yeah, well, we, uh, <laughs> we know a lot of those people, and they, they tell us, shh, you know, I, I have three more years till tenure, yeah. then I'll be, able to, <laughs> I'll be able to talk out loud. Well, let's, so let's talk about uh, the spread of socialism on college campuses. Now, I went to college. I went to the University of Pittsburgh, which is a, a public school, from 1988 to 1992. Yep. So uh, listeners can figure out how old I am. But, you know, back then I thought it was pretty bad, the, um, you know, the indoctrination and the, you know, the leftist viewpoints, um, you know, from professors to the culture and all of that. On campus, you know, and I was—I I felt actually kind of proud that I got through it with my values and my conservative principles intact. But it seems like it's much, much worse and harder for a student to to do that today. To basically resist the the you know the monoculture indoctrination from the left on all aspects of of college culture. Is, am I right to presume that? No, you are absolutely accurate. What what we have found is that. The students themselves, young people today, are not significantly different than than you were when you were young. Or I'm I'm a little bit older. I graduated '85, and and uh, but you know that when you talk to the average college student, they're 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 young. They're new to the world. They they believe in kindness and they want people to to succeed and they want to, to support those folks that are on hard times and tough times. Like frankly, all of us do. But their only solution at the time is, well, you know, maybe we should just give them more money because that seems to make intuitive, obvious sense. So the student body themselves are, are sort of the, the same cut of the same cloth as they've always been cut. What we found is that the faculty uh, uh, themselves, the faculty, Senate, the, the administration and the bureaucracy that exists there, has continually moved further and further and further to the left in, in sometimes very, very damaging and destructive ways to, to individual liberty, to students' rights, to the rights of, of other faculty members. But uh, yes, it, is, it has gotten much, much worse on campus today than it was 
20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, is it, is it the case that the 60s radicals that were, you know, they're now running all aspects of, uh, of our universities? I mean, survey after survey shows that, you know, finding a non-leftist, let alone a conservative, teaching a humanities course at any um, major public university in this country or private university for that matter, is like trying to find a unicorn. I mean, I think some surveys show that, not, that some schools have not a single person who identifies on, as somebody of the right is teaching at the at the school. Yeah, so the, 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 the number that we've seen is that 18% of humanities faculty surveyed, 18% self-identified as Marxists. <laughs> now, Marxism is a political philosophy that has never worked when attempted. It is O for 40. It has never been successful, yet 18% of humanities professors self-identify with a political philosophy, Marxism, that has never worked. And, and one would think that if you were actually smart enough to get a PhD, that there was a requirement to have some sort of intellect to get a PhD, that you could do some data analysis and find, gee, my beliefs and reality don't line up, and maybe I change my beliefs rather than try to warp uh, reality. But going back to the poll, only 5% of humanities professors identified, self-identified as conservative. So three and a half times more humanities professors identified as Marxists than conservative. And of course, all the rest of them are just liberal. So conservatives on in, in the humanities departments are outnumbered one to 20, mm-hmm. uh, one to 19. It is, uh, it is and, and that's across the board. And so absolutely, there are schools where you maybe there's a conservative professor, but they're outnumbered 20, 30, 40 to one. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of keeping their head down. And we've, we've got a situation, uh, one of our colleges, a Northeast liberal school, I don't want to name names because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. And, and they could, but, but who reached out to us through some of our students and said, how can we do some things here to broaden intellectual diversity on what is a, 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 a historic liberal arts institution that has lots of famous, and a huge endowment, and this kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's really become that dramatic where uh, if there is a conservative on campus, and many times they, they have to hide who they are to avoid ostracism. Well, how did this happen? How, how, how is it that you know, uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, a college campus had much more um, intellectual and philosophical diversity um, among its faculty, where we are today, as you just said, those those shocking uh, poll numbers of 18% identifying as straight-up Marxist. How did we get to this point? Are, are, you know, are there just not conservatives? They want to go out and make money or something, or they want to do something else with their lives? They don't want to go into academia, or they feel um, intimidated out? They feel like this is not a, a a welcome place for somebody who doesn't believe in hard leftist philosophy. How did we get to this point when it wasn't this bad as far as the faculty distribution of intellectual um, philosophy, you know, just 30, 40 years ago? Yeah. And, and so if you, if you go back to, to ISI's first president, William F. Buckley Jr., prior to becoming ISI's president, he had written a book called God and Man at Yale. Yeah. And that was 1950, 51 and in which he, he wrote that, that the, the faculty of, of at least Yale was moving to the secular left. And 
while he, he, he shouted that out and many other people heard that, that, that message, um, obviously, uh, uh, Bill Buckley, an immensely talented uh, uh, individual, he didn't go become a faculty member at a school. And I, so I think part of it is that conservatives and, and folks that lean conservative or, or lean libertarian in their personal philosophy do have a different worldview than those that lead, lean liberal to, uh, to Marxist, progressive, whatever definition you want to use, or term you want to use. And, uh, and so the professors that we, that we know that we work with, and, I, and, and again, we have a, a network of 3,000 plus faculty associates. When you add them all up where they're located, ISI has a presence on 40% of America's college and university campuses. And, and they truly want to educate their students. Mm -hmm. It is how do I advance my students' critical thinking skills, knowledge of how do you analyze different, uh, different options and how do you apply, say, free markets to a world in which there's a mercantilist power like China and, and, and the United States, which has its own set of issues. How does free markets work under that scenario and this kind of thing? And, and so I believe that these conservative professors truly want to educate. Meanwhile, I think that liberal or very progressive or, frankly, Marxist professors simply want to indoctrinate. And the left has been really very focused on this for decades in adding another member to the faculty, adding another member mm -hmm. of the faculty. And if you look at our public high schools and elementary schools and middle schools, all those public schools and, and, and you know, Marxist, Marxism is when government controls the means of production. What is one of the most, if not the most Marxist system in the United States is our public education system. <laughs> and those teachers almost universally have to be certified teachers that came through an education department on a university campus. Right. So those education departments very quickly became left-wing and socialist. And all those certified teachers go to now the, your full-day kindergartens that everybody fought for and first grade through high school. And all of those students get indoctrinated into Marxism is good. The Soviet Union's gone, and they weren't really Marxists. They were something else, and and capitalism. And then 2008 came along, and that fed into that the the the, the financial crisis, which, as you and I both know, was in many ways government driven. Uh, but that was laid out as a failure of capitalism. So when when my mom or dad lost their job, or maybe we lost a home, and we go to school, and the school teacher says, "See, capitalism is bad. If only we were socialists." Uh, and and so you 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 just drive that into the system year in and year out, and and as we know that the mainstream media is largely socialistic as as well. Mm -hmm. So you have all of those facets that are adding together, creating a, a universe in which the faculty and the administration on college campuses can get away with anything they want. And then you had the Obama administration who basically wrote a letter and said, if you do not protect left wing ideology we will uh, cut off funding. And most schools were more than happy to, 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 to stomp down on free speech and conservative and libertarian ideas in, in the, the search for their holy grail of, of socialism. And, and it just so that that it's just been a, an increasing spin of the flywheel year in and year out over the last 40 years. I took economics courses in college and I actually enjoyed them. <laughs> but um, I wonder. I wonder if um, do college kids today even know who Milton Friedman is? I mean, what what are they taught economically in in, uh, in colleges these days? I mean, you know, Friedman, of course, won the Nobel Prize, but is he 
persona non grata on college campuses? Uh, largely, yes. Uh, the, the most most college economics courses at this point in time are, you know, Keynesian. And 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 by the way, anybody who believes that there is a positive government multiplier to government stimulus is a fool that can't look at the data. And by that, I mean that Keynesians believe that if the government spends a dollar in the economy, its impact is is 1.4 or, 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 or 1.8 or two times that dollar in. And what we really know by observable fact is when the government spends a dollar in the economy, it, it's pulling out a future dollar from the economy. And so it has a negative impact on, on economic growth. But that's not what's taught in economics courses across this country today. Mm. And that's one of the things that ISI does. We come in, we have an economics curriculum. You can actually uh, uh, take the course for college credit through a couple of colleges. Um, you can go to ppe.isi.org and, and sign up. And, and these are uh, economics courses that are founded on uh, introducing you know, the, 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 edu- the student to people like Milton uh, to, to Hayek. Adam Smith. I mean, we talk about Adam Smith, but Adam Smith is not mentioned uh, often, if at all, in a college economics curriculum. Mm. Well, that's sad. That's sad. I guess you have to go to a maybe a place like Hillsdale or somewhere like that, where they they actually teach the classics and actually are interested in educating kids in in the humanities in a real sense. That's right. But um, that's right. So, and, and there are a handful of schools out there. Hillsdale, one, Grove City's another. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are three or four, but. But at the end of the day, uh, and, and, and that's what, part of what we do. That's why we're on 40 different, 40% of our college campuses. But we are a small presence. You know, we, we, we raise and spend you know, $7.5, $8 million a year. And, and obviously, you went to, to, to Pitt, and we have a good society at Pitt. We have a, 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 a pay, newspaper at Pitt, the Pitt Maverick. But, I mean, you know, they're, they're, those students are clearly outnumbered mm. and, and, and outspent by the bureaucracy and, and the leftist professors. Yeah. Looking to show off how much you care about freedom? Need a gift for someone? Head to the Heartland Institute store at store.heartland.org for t-shirts, posters, and books all advancing the freedoms you cherish. Grab a bumper sticker and show the world you believe in liberty. Find Heartland books such as Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming, Power to the People, Nothing to Fear, and the Kid-Friendly Constitution. Grab a Heroes of Freedom t-shirt featuring Ayn Rand, Milton Friedman, Friedrich Hayek, and Martin Luther King Jr., or get one of our always popular Don't Tread on Me shirts with Heartland's unique design. Those will be sure to start a conversation at your next barbecue or at the gym. Your destination for the freedom lovers in your life is the Heartland Store. Go to store.heartland.org and get shopping today. Well, you know, at Pitt and other places, you know, college used to be a place where the exchange of all ideas you know, was a virtue and it was exciting. You're a young person and you're being exposed to all of these new ideas from the hard left uh, to the to the hard right. I mean, gosh, I remember there was Larushians out on the streets <laughs> and, and then across the street would right. be the Nation of Islam doing their stuff. I mean, it was it was a carnival of, of you know, carnival of crazy to a large extent. But, you know, you were exposed to all of these ideas. And as a young person, that was kind of exciting. But it seems that free speech and the free exchange of ideas is no longer a virtue on a college campus. Is that, uh, I'm sure you're going to tell me that that's right. <laughs> that is right. And, and, and this comes from a number of different backdrops. But, but one, I think, that, that is somewhat central is that 
free speech, when if I say something to you that you find upsetting, you, the hair on the back of your neck might stand up and, and your pulse rate quickens, maybe your pupils dilate a little bit or, or what have you. And so you have a physiological response to my words. And the left has taken that to say, if words cause a physiological response, then it is just like being physically hit. And therefore, I have the ability and the right to physically hit you back if you say something that I find offensive. Mm. And then the Obama administration and others you know, basically told universities, you need to set up bias response teams and set up free speech zones and micro warnings and trigger warnings and all these things so that people don't feel physically threatened. And, and what you've done is you, you've basically censored, and there's, there's no other way to say it, it is censorship of different ideas, different viewpoints, the diversity of opinion, the diversity of knowledge that has made this country such a wonderful and, and uh, flourishing place that it is. And, uh, and this has been shut down by the left and this, and, and this response of speech is violence. And it's, uh, it is just such a, a, a warping. Um, you know, you cannot sharpen your intellect if you only are hanging out and talking with people with whom you agree. Mm -hmm. Only when you disagree with somebody do you have to check your own, your own data, your own beliefs, your own thoughts, and, and stress test and make sure, gee, maybe I hadn't looked into that piece of this argument. And I need to do that to make sure that what I'm saying is what I really think is correct. Because many of these, these are intractable problems. I mean, you know, homelessness and poverty and culture and, and immigration. If they were easy problems to solve, we would have solved them already. And they're difficult. And that requires people having a free and open exchange of ideas so that we can come up with the best solutions that we can, given the, the times and given the technologies and given the, the state of the economy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, actually, I, I don't have a lot of, of uh, personal affection for leftists, and I feel actually sorry for uh, college, college kids who are being indoctrinated in leftism and Marxism. You know, but one of the one of the virtues of being a conservative or a libertarian on a college campus is that you know all of their arguments. You've heard it all your life, and you have a different viewpoint. Right. The left does not know anything about what it is that libertarians and conservatives believe and why they believe them, and so they don't have to do any arguing. Uh, they don't have to sharpen their debate skills or rethink what they think, because if, if everyone who disagrees with me is shut down or scared away or cowed into submission, or banned from campus. That, is, that, is a, that, that really is an intellectual tragedy, and I wonder if there can be any kind of appeal to the leftists who control speech and control uh, the curriculum uh, on, on college campuses, that they're not doing their charges any favors, that, the, that this is actually not a good long-term strategy to advance your principles, because you don't get good at that unless you are challenged and are able to make the argument to, you know, the great undecided or the great unwashed out there. And, and I think, I think, Jim, that there are, there are liberal faculty and liberal administrators in some small number that would respond favorably to that. But I, I do think this is one of those areas where uh, conservatives or libertarian leaning folks have a different worldview than than uh, liberals. I, mean, you, I, I, I forget which of the Democrat presidential candidates was quoted about a month ago saying, 
that feelings are more important than facts. And God gave us the ability to reason as well as having emotions, but it is reason that allows us to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and make the world a better place, despite the fact that people have inherent weaknesses and, and problems and what have you. Mm -hmm. But if you don't believe that you should be using reason to solve problems, but you should only be using emotions and responding to emotions, then you don't actually want to participate in the debate because you don't want those facts. Those facts are uncomfortable. Those facts uh, might make you question your own feelings and beliefs, and that's painful. And we wouldn't want to make students pain, uh, have experienced pain. So it, 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 it really is, I think, a difference of what do you, what do you want an adult to, 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 to have as a skill set so that they can thrive in their lives. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that the left has a very different, very narrow, very destructive view of what an adult should do with their lives, what, what it means to flourish and prosper as a human. Yeah, well, ISI is certainly to be commended for, you know, giving support to free-thinking young people on college campuses, because it is very hard to to stick out in the crowd, to... to Decide for yourself, because you've reasoned things out. I'm not going to go along with these things, because I don't agree with them. And it's because of organizations like ISI that they're able to have the courage and the strength to continue doing that. And it's, uh, it's vital for, uh, uh, well, I think just for individually, it's, it's vital. You should, you should think differently um, and come to your own conclusions. And uh, I applaud ISI for their, their role in that. But we're here to talk a well, little thank bit— you. We, we, we... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, we 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 enjoy the fight every day, and and <laughs> the, the students we deal with, these are the greatest young people that that you and I could possibly know. And I know we're in good hands uh, when when they graduate and become business leaders, law leaders, government leaders, that kind of thing. Uh, the country will need them. Right. Well, so we're here to talk a little bit more, uh, Charlie Copeland, about you know, the spread of socialism on, on college campuses really kind of, I think of it as like a plague, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just infecting people and like, you know, uh, you'll never get down to patient zero. I guess Karl Marx was patient zero, but you get, um, you know, it's just infecting people across, across uh, our college campuses. And, but as you alluded to earlier, you know, it's our high school uh, teachers who came through the university system, and then they went to the education schools, and then they go back to the community and, and teach high school and middle school, and they teach socialism, and they teach Marxism, and it's just, um, you know, it's a, it's a vicious circle, really, of, uh, of feedback, a feedback loop of, <laughs> of, of horribleness um, from the universities back to, back to the, other, to the uh, primary schools. And so these kids have been marinating in this stuff uh, their entire lives. And so, uh, you know, you look at, you look at polling numbers, um, you know, an, an Axios poll that was just released a couple months ago shows that 61% of millennials and Generation Z have a positive reaction to the word socialism, 61%. Just 40% have a favorable opinion of capitalism. Capitalism, of course, is what um, created the United States. Capitalism is what's called life and normalcy and economics. And, uh, you know, they, they had only 40% of a favorable opinion of that. Capitalism means that iPhone that you have in your hand, by the way, uh, young people, if you're listening. Um, you know, half, half of these millennials and gen Generation Z people in this Axios poll said they prefer to live in a socialist country. 
And, and I think this is because, I think it's obvious this is because they are not informed about what socialism really means. Um, they think socialism, and I think socialism is always sold as just being compassionate. You know, it's the right thing to do. Socialism means caring about the welfare of your fellow man, you know, especially those that are struggling economically. So how does the right battle that false perception about socialism? How do they communicate that socialism actually means the surrender of your liberty and the beginning of tyranny? Well, the, the, the first thing I would recommend is if, if uh, one of your listeners out there has a, a, a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew or a grandson or granddaughter that's going to be going to college or is in college, that they should check out joint.isi.org, joint.isi.org, and then they can get dialed into the educational content and our nationwide network of faculty, the programs that we run, the debates, lectures, and that kind of thing, so that their, their daughter or son or family member can, uh, can actually get a full, well-rounded education in critical thinking skills and what it takes to make this society that is, that is free and prosperous, the difference between socialism and capitalism and why capitalism has created the most flourishing society, the wealth that we all talk about today was generated. The, the, our ability to even have this debate only exists because of capitalism. And, and it is the most kind system that there is, that, there, that the people that in the last hundred years have been brought out of poverty as a result of capitalism and, and democratic action. And, and, so, and they can learn about that through ISI. So if you're on a college campus or a family member is going to be on a college campus, you should check out ISI, and so that that's part one. And part two then is is to uh, to not let the censors censor us. We need to we need to speak out. We need to fight for our right to free speech, and we need to 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 point out when things are wrong. Uh, I think that the American voter, generally speaking, does a pretty good job. For 240 years, this country has gotten continually better and better and better. And, uh, and as long as we keep informing Americans as to what makes America special, mm-hmm. and it is special, then we will continue on that path. And, and, and ISI's role is at that college level to make sure that these really bright, intellectually curious, deep thinking, conservative and libertarian students have access to these ideas so that they can study them and come to their own conclusions. We don't, we're, we're not here to indoctrinate and say, you should think this way. Mm-hmm. We want uh, young people that are able to think on their feet and think for themselves, because the problems of the, this country will face 20 years from now are going to be different than the problems it faces today. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a, I have a nephew who just started, he's a freshman in college now, um, and he went away from home, so he's not going to commute from home for a while like I did when I went to school. But um, yeah. uh, So he's going to go away, and he's going to come back, as, as millions of college students are going to do. Families are going to be welcoming back their freshman, their beloved freshman son or daughter or nephew or niece, and they're going to be sitting down um, during commercials of the football game on, on Thanksgiving Day. They're going to learn what it is that their, uh, their beloved young person is learning at college. Um, what, what advice do you have for, uh, for parents or relatives of, of college freshmen coming back uh, after a little bit of exposure to college? And realizing that the this is not the same gal or guy that I sent away, that this person is starting to be 
taught some very crazy things. You know, parents are, are spending tens of thousands of dollars a year to ship their kids off somewhere so they can be indoctrinated to reject everything that they tried to instill to them in values-wise, and, and it happens at the drop of a hat. What, what can be done when you, you get back a kid that you, don't, you hardly recognize? I think that that part of that is is a family dynamic as well. But I, I, I you know, I I have a couple of kids that are in their twenties, and despite even leading ISI, they they have come back on occasion and 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 expressed some thoughts that I thought were a little mistaken, and then, and we have the conversation. Mm. And I'm not here again to to say to to my son or daughter, you must think this way. I just want to point out the the observable data points that might imply that their perspective is not 100% accurate and that uh, uh, and you had that conversation. In addition to that, we actually uh, put together a uh, had uh, produced and you can get it as an ebook, uh, how to stay conservative on college campus. Hmm. We just released it uh, this summer. And so that's available from our website, how to stay conservative on college campus. And and actually part of the advice in the ebook is don't worry so much about trying to stay conservative on college campus, find great professors. Mm. And if that great professor, and there are good liberal professors, there are, there are those, it's a, it's a minority of them who believe in their ideas, but also believe in free, free thinking and knowledge. And they want to make sure that their students have the, the same critical thinking. And, and I would rather take a course from a, from a, a great professor who disagreed with me philosophically than a lousy professor who happened to agree with me because right. I want to be challenged. I want to think. And, and so part of the, part of the advice is make sure you're, you're, the courses you're taking, the classes you're taking are from the best teachers that you can, almost irrespective of their political philosophy. And, and you can find out who those professors are. One, you can find, you know, if, if the 40% of college campuses have an ISI professor uh, member there, and, and identify that person and ask them, who, who would they recommend? What courses would they recommend? Which, which uh, professors do they recommend? And, and make sure your, your son or daughter is taking uh, classes with good professors, not just, oh, well, this class fit in because I, I needed to fit in a slot at 11 o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Right. Well, you know, I always try to end a podcast on a positive note because most of the guests I talk to, the topic isn't necessarily very uplifting, but uh, and this would qualify because uh, it's troubling what's going on on our college campuses and the spread of socialism uh, across and the embrace of socialism by a country damn that damn well should know better actually, and uh, so should our our yep. young people. So I would like you, uh, Charlie Copeland, to give our listeners a little bit of hope for the future. I mean, I, I think about you know the social the indoctrination. With socialism and Marxism on college campuses is way worse now than it was in the in the eighties and nineties when you and I uh, were in college. Um, you know, but there's a lot of you know you're the old saw that uh, I think Churchill used to say: if you're not uh, liberal when you're young, you have no heart; if you're not a conservative when you're older, you have no brain. You know, it there is there there does tend to be I think maybe a, a bit of panic about the future of America when they look at the young people. Gosh, it certainly was like that in the sixties, I guess, and maybe they were right, but. You know, you, you tend to grow up and you tend to think things differently as you get older. I mean, I, I certainly think differently in a lot of ways, in a lot of areas now in my uh, late 40s than I did in my early 20s. So, you know, when you look at, when you just look at the raw data and you, sh and you, and you see that huge numbers 
of millennials and Generation Z are embracing socialism, or at least uh, if they're not embracing it, they're fine with it, right? So what what hope is there in the future? I'm sh- certainly the work of ISI is is part of a solution to make sure that uh, that young people today understand the truth about socialism, understand the truth about free markets being the greatest um, fighter of poverty that uh, humanity has ever developed. What hope is there? What what hope do you have that America is going to be all right when this generation matures and starts to run the institutions that we have in this country? Andrew Jackson, president in the 1820s, once said, one man with courage makes a majority. Now, we all know that Andrew Jackson, being in the 1820s, was not sufficiently woke. And if he were alive today, he would say one person with courage makes a majority. And that's what ISI is here for. We identify bright, intellectually curious, deep thinking leaders on college campus. And when these leaders graduate, they're going to become community leaders and business leaders, and they're going to go into the law, they're going to go into government, they're going to run nonprofits, and they're going to be the Neil Gorsuch's and the Sam Alito's and the Larry Arns and the Matt Spaulding's and, the, and, uh, and, and, and dozens of others who are in business that you've not heard of because they're just running their business or, or, or in their local community. I firmly believe that, that, that the bright young people that we see, and, and every year we graduate 300 or more students out of the top of our program. These are bright kids who get it and they're going to they're going to go on to do great things and and when when one or two of them get into the right spot they're going to make good decisions and they're going to continue to lead this country forward and and lead the rest of the world as a result of that it's not going to be easy uh nothing ever is life is not easy and as i tell my children if you want life to be easy you have to work really really hard (laughs) and that is the that is what these kids do. And so I, I, and I get the opportunity to see these kids at conferences, at debates, uh, at lectures, involved in reading groups, reading you know, uh, things going all the way back to Plato, through the Roman Republic, through uh, Edmund Burke, uh, the Scottish Enlightenment. I mean, these, these kids get it. And, and if you saw the numbers that I do and know that they're going to be leaders in, in the future, um, you, we need to help them. They're, they're, you know, we can't let the rest of this stuff just sort of continue. But uh, we, we, the, the country will have the leaders that it's going to need. What we need to do is make sure that they have the opportunity to get into those leadership positions. Hmm. Well, you did it, Charlie. You cheered me up. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> <laughs> how, how can our listeners uh, learn more about uh, ISI and also uh, support your fine organization? So the easiest way is, is to, to go to our website, and that's just isi.org. So it's not very complicated, isi.org. And again, if you're a student or that, that maybe in your late high school years, you think about going to college, or if you're a college student, or if you have a family member that's in that position, the, the, the best place to go to sign up to get a weekly email, to get an intellectual starter kit to, uh, to build and dial yourself into this uh, community of really bright uh, uh, young people is join.isi.org, join.isi.org. And if you want to look at our economics curriculum online, you can do it. Uh, you can go to ppe.isi.org, but it all comes off the website. And by the way, faculty members that you have out there, they also can, can, can join our, our network and become a faculty uh, uh, associate and get curriculum ideas, get dialed into our network, get a place to 
they have a, a student or two in their classes that they think are particularly uh, bright uh, and they want to help pull them along, they can they can dial them in as well. So faculty, we, we love having faculty. Charlie Copeland is president and CEO of ISI, the Intercollegiate Studies Institute. Charlie, thanks so much for being on the Heartland Daily Podcast. Jim, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. 